Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Ball left side to Murphy, front court, 445 to go. Four-point Rebel lead. Pass tipped by Webster, taken by Harkless. Harkless front court, Harkless in the lane, Harkless underneath, lays it up and in, and a foul. This is the Press Box. Shot clock to five. Booker inside and now back out. Corner three is good from Alyssa Brown. And a three from Alyssa Durazo Frescas. With Graney and Bischoff. The Lady Rebels are perfect in the Mountain West. Burst will dribble out of trouble, <laughs> and the Rebels will win it in overtime by a final score of 78 to 70. On ESPN Las Vegas. Nothing but winning around this place. Everybody wins. Everybody wins, right? Mm. We're, we're, we're winners in here. I like to think that on a daily basis. Thank God the men don't have to play Air Force again. Can't handle those games. They're terrible. Were you there? No. Oh, you didn't go? I didn't go. I thought you were there. Two, two games against Air Force. One goes into overtime, so they get to score a few more points, but neither team broke 60 in regulation in two games. God. You and Danny liked the under. God, it was under. <laughs> the degenerate over here. Look at him. who's shaking the head. Unbelievable. Thank God that team is gone, and UNLV doesn't have to play them anymore and get dragged into some horrific version of a basketball yeah. game. It's not real basketball. Tough playing those guys. They muck it up yeah, a little. Yeah, they whatever. Muck it up a little. Just beat them. God. They muck it up a little. Just Air Force. beat them. They're, UNLV started that. I shouldn't give away all my fun stats. UNLV started that game two of nine on layups. Air Force like can't recruit guys over 6'6". And UNLV couldn't make a layup on them. We're giving it away. God, it's brutal. Let's, you know talk, let's talk about the let's winners. Go, let's the talk real about, winners. Let's talk about the women. Let's talk about the women. The first bite. Danny's got his phone. Can the Lady Rebels win an NCAA tournament game? Oh, man. This is. I've never looked forward. This is a little strange. I've never looked forward to a seed more than this one because, in a weird sort of way, we always we all follow the bracketologists. And I've been looking at the women's bracketology for like a month now. And I have not seen them. Maybe you have. I have not seen them. Higher than a 12? CBS Sports had them as an 11 yesterday. Okay, okay so they have them as 11. Um, man, an 11 or 12, I'm not so sure. We saw them last year. I think they were 12 last year, weren't they? Well, that was a 13. I'll have okay. to double-check that. Okay, against Arizona. Yeah. And they were in that. They were in that game. So, yeah, they can win a game. They can win a game. I think they can win a game. The seeding part of this, so they're 31-2. and two. Right, and they've won 22 straight games. They went perfect in conference play, basically perfect in, 20, conf- perfect in conference period. Right, 21 and 0 against right. Mountain West teams, but that's kind of it for their resume. They do not have a quad one win. They only played one quad one opponent the entire season and lost that game. Oklahoma State, yeah, and lost it convincingly too. That was not like oh they lost to the buzzer. They lost that by uh, double digits. Their resume is basically we won every game since. Christmas or before Christmas. Yeah, like right? December 18th. But none of those are truly quality wins. There's some quad two wins because there's a there's a handful of Mountain West teams that are sort of in the top 100, but they're all like in the 80s. UNLV's own net ranking is still in the 50s. So their resume is basically our record is really good. They don't have good wins to point to. Their net ranking on their own isn't that special. But the cross-sport comparison that I'm curious to see is uh, Central Florida. Mm-hmm. or Cincinnati in college football, where 
those programs had to do it multiple years to get any sort of respect. Right. Cincinnati had to be really good for back-to-back seasons to get into the playoff. to get a shot in the college football playoff, right? UNLV's they they weren't 18 and 0 last year, right? Their record wasn't quite 31 and 2, but UNLV was good last season, won the conference tournament, had played a pretty decent game against Arizona in the NCAA tournament, and then they were even better this year. Does that matter to the committee? It probably doesn't, but that's, I think, what you're hoping for is, hey, we showed yeah. last year we were good and we could play with Arizona, and then we're even better this year. We don't have the quad one wins. We don't have the high net ranking, but we know we're good, and so should you. I'm not going to say I know much about the women's committee in terms of members of it, but I would think they just go on this year. I, and that's what they I don't think should they, I don't do. Think that's what they should do. Yeah. It's year to year, and what's your resume this year? And I don't know if anyone's in the room saying, well, you know, they played pretty well as a 13 seed last year. <laughs> Nor, like you said, nor should they. Right. They should worry about this year, and thirty-two and two and twenty-two straight now. Yeah, twenty-two straight. I don't know. I think that's. I think that's better than a twelve. Um, I, I'm not going to tell you. I know every seed in the women's tournament uh, or the men's tournament for that fact, because the men's tournament is going to be all over the map. Also, this year was upsets, and good luck to your brackets this year in the men's tournament. Um, but. I, I, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated like you. I, I really am interested to see where they seed them after 32 wins. Is it 32? 31, 31 and 2. 31. They've never won 30 games until this year, so it's a program record. 31 and 2 and 22 straight wins. I really, really want to see them seed where that seed is. I think the other way to look at this is UNL, if you're going to get the higher seed here, that's an absolutely terrible matchup. If you're the five seed that draws 31 and two, UNLV is the 12 seed. Like, kind of looking at the committee saying, What the hell did you do? 5 to 12 us? game. Right. And you're like, Wait a minute. I, yeah. I'm the five seed and I got to play the 31 and two team that hasn't <laughs> lost in three months. Well, that's brutal. So I am curious to see. And here's the other part Can I make a, a, a probably dumb argument for you? If I'm Why the not? Lady Rebels, I want an 11 seed. I don't want an 8, a 9, or a 10. Well, you never want the 8, 9, because if you win, you know who you get. I want an 11, because, yes, my first-round matchup is going to be a little bit more difficult than a 6 versus a 7 or an 8, but if I win, I get a 3 seed instead of a 1 or a 2. Yeah, the 8, 9, you know who you're getting next. Right, and the generally speaking, the drop-off in women's college basketball from the top handful of teams to the middle of the teams is pretty significant. So I'd actually be... If I was UNLV, I'd be less excited about a 10 than I would be 11. Now, what kind of argument was that you said? A stupid argument, a dumb argument. I don't know you. if that's... You like it? Okay, good. No, I, mean, I like I, when look, I can convince I just, you. I, I think everyone... D8-9 is just a, tough, just a tough round. I mean, you can get a win, obviously. You're right there with the other seed, but you just know who's coming next. You right. know I mean, you just know, and I, I think there's a lot better chances at, like you said, than th- at three seeds than ones. Here's a fun fact for you. Lindy LaRock has won six Mountain West tournament games in the last two years. Uh, the Runnin' Rebels have won six Mountain West tournament games in the last 10 years. Uh, she has more Mountain West tournament wins than Marvin Menzies, TJ Otzelberger, and Kevin Kruger combined. She's doing a heck of a job. <laughs> She's only done it in two seasons. <laughs> Lindy's, a, <laughs> Lindy's a solid coach. Are they gonna, is she going to leave? Are they going to keep her? Everyone... Everyone has always said the one job would be Stanford because she went there, 
what four Final Fours. That's her school. I don't know if anything could drag her away from that. And, you know, I don't know if she's. I mean, this is where she's from. Her family's here. Uh, four month old. Uh, you know, it seems very very happy. Um, winning like this. And I don't look. I don't even know. I, there's something to be said to come home and be around family, and you know, have have her child around her family. Um, I don't even know if Stanford would entice her. I really don't. I don't. I I think she's just really, really happy to be the coach here, and she's obviously doing really well. Now, the other part about it is, they need to take care of her out there. Can they though? I mean, can they? Well, I think to a point they can. I I, I think to a point they can take care of. Her. Yeah, it's still you know be. And budget still comes into it, but I think they can to a point to where maybe they can enough to where she's happy enough and she's content enough, and this is where she wants to be. And I mean, tell you what, good for UNLV if that's the if that's the case. It'd be great if she stayed. So I'll give you the uh, comparison for Lindy the Rock and Eric Musselman. Musselman went to Nevada and had a lot of success really early. And what did he do? He had a group of players that were great. The Martin Twins and Jordan Caroline. Jordan Caroline. When did Musselman leave Nevada? When those guys were out of when eligibility. They, yeah. Desiree Young still has a couple she, years of eligibility, but Essence Booker is done. So their best two players, she's losing one of them. If it was purely a cash in when my stock is at the highest conversation, Lindy The Rock should leave after this year at UNLV. The chances of it Unless being... Unless she's really, really happy. No, I'm saying if stay. we're only talking about her cashing in at the high at her highest peak, it should be she well, should leave right now. Yeah, I just I just have a feeling she's really happy where she's at, and I think that's great for them. Yeah, and if she is, then Good stick around. But stick around. They're probably not going to have a better season than this. No, it's tough to. I so, don't care. We I wrote that the other day. I don't care what league you're in. Tell me it's a good league. Tell me it's a bad league. You go 18-0, and 0, especially with the travel issues in the Mountain West and all the craziness you have to go through in that league. To be 18-0, and 0, man, that was an incredible year. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't care what league you're in. I think the only men's team to go perfect in conference play was Oral Roberts this year, and they went 18-0. Uh, and 0. They're 30-4 and four overall. 34? So, yeah, as the men's side. Yeah. And, by the way, they're very similar. Their net and their Ken Palm are both in the 50s, just like the Lady Rebels, so... The Oral Roberts seed and the Lady Rebel seed should basically be the same at the end of the day. Basically the same teams on the men's side and the women's side. But uh, I'm I'm curious to see if, if Lindy LaRock is, like, how much is there a, I want to coach at UNLV, I want to be here, versus, hey, I'm going to double my salary if I take this Power 5 job. Because that's the reality. She probably would double her salary. I think she makes less than $300,000 as the head coach here. So if a Power 5 job says here's $750,000... It come, comes down to what's important to right. her. Do you want the highest salary, or do you actually really love Las Vegas yeah. and everything? This is, her that's home. Here? this is her home. And maybe she does, and she sticks around. And, and good for them. She's going to get a raise, right? <laughs> yeah, I think she's got to get a raise. Like you said, there's just there's certain levels they can go to um, as a non-Power 5, but I think they'll do their best to keep her, and they should. Um, you know, Sam Gordon wrote in the paper today, she's building this mid-major power out here, and... Uh, I think uh, I think it's great if she stays, and I think it's great for them because she's terrific, and that season this year was an incredible season. And like I said, I'm fascinated to see where their seed is. I don't know if it's better than an eleven. Yeah, the, I, I think the a, net ranking and and where she where they sit in net, 
you can usually look at net and kind of figure out, you know, where the seed is going to fall. Right. I think that's probably the high end for her is, or for UNLV is an 11 seed. I'd be I'd be a little surprised if they're any higher than an 11. And ultimately, I think they're a 12. Like I think that's where they come in. Um. So the Stanford job, by the way, uh, Tara Vanderveer is the head mm-hmm. coach there. She's been there for three decades or whatever. Is it reality that you're just sort of looking at this saying, well, when she retires, then that's when Lindy LaRock potentially leaves UNLV? Maybe, but they've got an assistant uh, on that staff uh, who's been with Tara forever, and the assumption also is that she would take over for Tara on that, uh, on the, in that uh, program that it might not even – it might be like a Jim Beheim situation yesterday where it never even gets open, and they just name her the coach. So there's that situation also up at Stanford. Um, is that real? Hold on, hold on. So Stanford's a private school. They don't have to publicly reveal uh, salaries. But according to this Yahoo story, Tara Vanderveer makes $2.3 million a year. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, she's won championships, been in how many Final Fours? And That's, th- I mean, that's $2 million more than Lindy the Rock yeah. makes here. Yeah, but she wouldn't make that if she went there. She'd make a lot more. Right. But she wouldn't make that. All right. Coming I think up. she stays. I think she stays. You think she stays after this year? Oh, yeah. I think she stays. All I right. think she's really happy. All right. Good Good for her. I, if yeah. I was a Power 5 job, I'm throwing a whole bunch of money at her. Saying, bring Desiree Young with you. <laughs> she's got a couple years of eligibility. Desiree Young, who should have been the player of the year, by the way. I'm going to stand on that, yeah, up on that box. Fine. Up on that box. No, it's not. She should have been the player of the year. Score more Good points. Good for the Colorado State kid. Nice guard. Has a lot of, has a lot of numbers. Score more points. Top, top, top. Uh, well, she, she's, real quick, she's the only p- Division One player uh, in the country this year who went 18-10 and shot more than 60%. You can't do better than that. You're the only one. You could score more. Shoot oh, more. Come on. She's got more. teammates who score. She's a, she likes to that's, distribute That's as well. why she's not player of the year. She's come got on. good teammates. That's exactly why she's no, not. She's, she's got good product teammates. Of, product of the too much depth on that team. They just have too many It's the same players. reason why Matt Bradley didn't win it on the men's side. He's got good that's teammates. That's, that's, that's the comparison we all made in San Diego State. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into some NFL as we look at some quarterback contracts given out this offseason. If I thought I was going to be here a year ago, I would have done that fifth year. <laughs> I would have done the fifth year option. But, again, I knew from doing work on Daniel coming out in the draft the type of person he was, uh, from everybody in the building the type of person he was, his work ethic. He has all the physical tools. He's athletic. He can make all the throws. Text Granny and Bischoff at 69187 with the word ESPN. So far this offseason, we have seen three of the middle-tier quarterbacks in the NFL get new contracts. Daniel Jones signed a new deal. Uh, it's it's officially four years, potentially $160 million, but $82 million of that is guaranteed. It's effectively a two-year $82 million contract. Carr's deal is basically a two-year $70 million, and Geno Smith's was essentially a two-year $50 million deal. What do you think of the price point those guys came in? Daniel Jones, they're all two years. Daniel Jones yeah. comes in at 42, Carr comes well, in at 35, and Geno at 25. I think this is what the market's bearing on quarterbacks now. I think this is what quarterbacks are expecting when they go out there and, and negotiate contracts in, in this range. Not saying it's good numbers in terms of paying these guys this much, but this is what the market's bearing now. So as to, in, terms of, uh, in terms of being in the middle... In terms of being middle tier guys, this is what they should expect, probably. 
Are you surprised none of them got more money? Guaranteed, no. No, I'm not guaranteed. No, I'm not surprised. I'm not, and I'm not surprised at the two years because uh, it's like Carr's contract last year. If it doesn't work out, you can get out of these things pretty quick. You thought they should get more? I did not think they should get more, but generally, when a quarterback right. signs a new deal, oh, he's the highest paid quarterback in the league, right. right? It happened for Kirk Cousins. It happened for Matt Stafford. In the past, NFL teams have, whenever a quarterback who's proven to be competent, not good, but just competent, signs a new contract, we're always like, oh, Matt Stafford's getting paid as much as everybody else in the league or more than everybody else in the league. They didn't do that. Like Daniel Jones and Derek Carr and Geno Smith are not the highest paid quarterbacks in the league, which I think four years ago, if all four of them came up, they would be like, oh yeah, he's the highest paid quarterback in the league because that's generally what teams did. I think it was one of the first times we've seen a sign that NFL teams are not going to pay the 10th through 15th best quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. What the first and fifth with the number one through five make. Right. But I still think they made too much money. Daniel Jones at $42 million a year over the next two, Carr at 35 I think that's too much money. Because when we talk about the rookie contracts that quarterbacks play on, it's about the salary cap and how much you right, take that's up. that's why you want a guy in a rookie contract. And effectively, how much money you save to right. spend on other players. And so... you should do. We'll see if they get the draft one. It's going to be Hendon Hooker at pick seven by the time the draft gets here. He's, exactly. So when you have a rookie quarterback and he's making ten million, if you compare it to let's say Herbert signs a contract where he's getting fifty million, 50 million season, right? That's a, probably that's will. forty million dollars in between there that you can spend on other players. That's a massive chunk. With what Daniel Jones signed, what Carr signed, and even with Geno Smith. That gap shortens, right? If you compare 50 for Herbert potentially with 35 with Carr, it's an extra $15 million the team with Carr has to spend. But it's still, compared to a rookie deal, $25 million more that you are giving Carr than you would a rookie. And I think that's too much for the middle tier of NFL quarterbacks. Like, I think the Geno Smith one, $25 million, not bad. Like, if you, I think that's where these quarterbacks should come in. If you're in that 10 to 15 range or something, if you're the Kirk Cousins, the Derek Carrs, the Daniel Jones type quarterbacks, about $20 million, I think, makes sense. Because what Carr does give you, he gives you quarterback certainty, right? Like, you're going to get, you're not going to have a complete bum at quarterback. No, you're not a top Carr. 15 quarterback. If you draft Bryce Young, he might suck. Well, he might be, but he might be better than Derek Carr. Right, and that's why you want the rookie quarterback. But with Carr, you know he's not going to be awful, right? You right. know he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. And that's worth paying something for. But I just think it's more like 20 to $25 million than 35 to $40 million. To free it up to get other people. Right, because we've seen it over and over and over. You're not winning the Super Bowl with Derek Carr. You're not winning the Super Bowl with Daniel Jones unless they're making $8 million and you build a really, really good roster around him. But as soon as you pay that type of quarterback $35 million, $40 million, your chances of winning the Super Bowl are gone. And that's why I think those numbers should be 20. That's why the Raiders should re-sign Jarrett Stidham. <laughs> At ten million dollars, <laughs> ten—that's a big number for they, him. And then get Anthony Richardson and pay him what it would be eight to ten. I'd have to look at what it is what exactly. Is it but the, what is it for the rookies? It was eight. Well, it, was it changes by year. pick, right? Yeah. So draft him seventh, pay him eight to ten million. Now you've got two quarterbacks at twenty million. That's too much. I, I wouldn't even pay Stidham that much. Could, I wouldn't. That's a good point. I wonder if if you're Stidham's agent and he started the last two games last year, and you're like. Okay, 
he's gonna you're gonna start him because you're not gonna play Anthony Richardson. What would he ask for? Well, the timing of it too. Does he get signed before the draft or after the draft? Oh, I think he gets signed before the draft. So if you get signed before the draft, I think if you're the agent, you're pushing for well, he's our he's your starter, right? So give him oh, starter exactly. money. Yeah, you gotta give him uh, I mean Jared Stidham on starter money. That's what I'm pushing for. If you're if if you look around you don't want and you him say to get better, if you're looking around and well, if I'm Jared Stidham, I'm pushing no, for the starter money. If I'm Jared money. Stidham, I'm pushing for starter. If money. I'm the Raiders, I'm offering four million dollars. Take it or leave it. We'll go get somebody else. You're not that special. At Jimmy G at thirty-five. Oh Jesus. <laughs> That's he deserves he, it. I'll tell you one thing. If you look at all the numbers this week, Jimmy G's going to ask for 35. Oh, man. Right? Is Jimmy G going to hurt his hand trying to shake I mean, an owner's hand? Yeah, he's, he's, he's going he's to be hurt when he gets it, but he's going to ask for 35. He might be hurting, but he'll be laughing to the bank. Oh, if you're this week, if you look at those numbers, Jimmy G's going to get that number. Now, as he Tyler said, it might be stupid to give it to him, but he's going to get that number. So, uh, Spot Track puts up. Um, projected uh contracts for uh draft picks uh the number seven pick where the raiders are sitting projected value of the contract is 20 26.7 million with a 16.6 signing bonus say that again and uh, so it's projected seventh pick What's yeah. Bryce Young getting at the first pick? Uh, first pick projected value is forty, just shy of forty-one million with a twenty, just shy of twenty-seven million signing bonus over four years. Uh, I'm assuming so. It doesn't no, have it has to, be, to be over yeah. four years. So that would be about ten million a year. Okay. And then the seventh pick over four years is about. Eight. Oh, he's, we're, we're watching him do math Eight. live on it's the about air. Six and a so half million. Six and a half. Stiddy gets four. You're ten and a half. Stiddy. <laughs> is that his new name? Jesus. <laughs> he's a hockey player. Just add Stiddy. the Y. Just you, add the Y as a hockey player. You got to go out to practices now and be like, hey, Stiddy, can Stiddy! I talk to you? Stiddy or Hammy? Marchie. Oh, boy. Marchie. <laughs> what are you doing over there? <laughs> no, you give. I. I I'm with you though. If they if this ha- happens before the draft, if he has a good agent at all, you're saying you're making him the starter because right. you don't even know who you're going to draft. Chase you're Garbers be- is the only yeah. quarterback under contract yeah. here. If they how happy is Chase Garbers right now? He's like, if this completely if they screw this completely up, I'm going to be at least the number two. He's going to get cut. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to play like six snaps in preseason and then that's it for <laughs> Chase Garbers. Say, Why do we have this guy? That's right. They're like, wait a minute, we drafted a quarterback. Michael and- Hutchison. Yeah, well, we can't put that guy in a game. They're gonna trade him to Columbus, even though it's not an NFL team exactly. in Columbus. I'm like, what do I do there? I don't know. Figure it out. There's a hockey team. Go watch it. All right, coming up next year on ESPN Las Vegas, Brad Spielberger joins the show. Forty-seven hundred. When you guys get your chance and you really dig in, you'll see that it is, you know, leaning that way. We're we're counting on him coming through and doing the things that he was able to do last year. And if he if he does that, he's going to get rewarded. And uh, we know that if that if he's able to come back and do that, he's going to have a great season, and we're going to be in great shape. Graney and Bischoff are back on the press box. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Brad Spielberger. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Good morning, Brad. Hi, Brad. How are you? Morning. Doing well. How are you guys doing? Good. All right. Let's start uh, with something very important because it's been it's been talked about a lot of, with the Raiders and signing players. Does Mark Davis have enough money to sign Lamar Jackson if he wanted to, or is that an actual problem that the Raiders can't have him because there's not enough actual money for Lamar Jackson? 
So the issue there would be the escrow situation. Um, you know, so can he pay the contract over the life of the contract? Yes. But what we saw with Deshaun Watson, these other deals that where players are trying to get these ginormous, fully guaranteed money is, when you fully guarantee money in future years of a contract, you have to put three-fourths of that money aside in an escrow account. And that is why you see other teams do not guarantee money outside of the first year of a deal, and, and they have rolling guarantees and different mechanisms to avoid having fully guaranteed dollars in later years, um, I would certainly put the Raiders as one of the you know family-owned teams that probably cannot fully guarantee money that late like the Cleveland Browns did. Do you think there's any way he comes close to Deshaun Watson's number, Lamar? At this point, no, I really don't. Um, you know, I, I don't want to throw the collusion word around or get into anything like that. But you know, I do think there is this big league-wide push to not let Watson's deal become the norm, and instead to treat it as an anomaly and an outlier and hope it just goes away or, or, or whatever the league is trying to do. So I really don't. You have all these teams coming out and saying we're not interested, we're not even going to talk to the guy, which I think is quite bizarre. Uh, I've never seen anything like that, you know, an hour after the franchise tag window opens up. But, you know, all it takes is one team. Maybe one of those teams strikes out in the draft or, or changes their mind. Um, but as of today, I don't. I think, he's, I think no one's going to go there. Is the most likely scenario here that the Ravens just match any contract offer that another team signs Lamar Jackson to? So that's the thing, is if anyone else is offering a deal that's a normal structure, you know, the, the Ravens did, apparently, for reports, I mean, push to about $135 million in fully guaranteed dollars, which would be the second most ever by, by a sizable margin over, you know, the next one, of course, it would still be $100 million behind Deshaun Watson, but, you know, it would be precedent-shattering or, or, you know, groundbreaking in other ways. Um, but, you know, the only way I think he's going to sign an offer sheet is if it also says that. Like, I don't think he has a problem with Baltimore or the Ravens organization. I think he just wants this one aspect of his deal that unless someone offers it, he's not going to sign. So for Lamar Jackson's side, if he essentially has the ability to negotiate with whatever team is interested, if this process plays out and no one offers him, the fully guaranteed deal, or even, you know, 200 million guaranteed. It's not fully, but it's close. At what point does he sit back and reevaluate that I'd love to get the fully guaranteed deal, but I just had the entire league tell me, nope, we are not doing that, and I need to take whatever the best offer is from Baltimore or some other team? So, look, I'm not a guy that always says every player needs to have an agent, but that is the main job of an agent. You know, you talk to agents on the league, I work with a ton of them, Client expectation management is probably the hardest part and the most important part of their job. And explaining, you know, why certain things work the way they do and, and why you're not going to get 230 plus or even 200, you know, million fully guaranteed dollars, which still 200 million would be 100 million more than the number two with Aaron Rodgers at 101 and a half. So that's how much of a, you know, crazy outlier Watson is. So I really don't know. I almost think he'd rather just play on one franchise tag, maybe even play on two franchise tags and go the Kirk Cousins route, so to speak, um, and, and just keep betting on himself. Uh, we know Derek Carr went to the Saints. All we've ever heard about is the cap problems with the Saints. How, how do they get uh, around this? Yeah, so, you know, I, I get that people say, oh, they're getting away with it. But, look, no Marcus Williams, no um, no Trey Hendrickson, no Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I mean, they're losing really good young players. They have a bunch of guys like Cam Jordan and Demario Davis that somehow at 32 and 33 years old don't miss any time and still play at a very high level. But I still, I mean, look, they've missed the playoffs two years in a row. I still, with their car, maybe they win their bad NFC South division, but by no means are they an actual contender. 
So, yeah, I mean, you can. It's a credit card. You can push that credit card debt off as long as you want. Uh, but it is going to make things complicated. And I think we've seen them lose talent. They're trying to keep David Onyemata, trying to keep Marcus Davenport. At this point, I think neither of those guys return. So it, it just, you know, you can get away with it. But what are you really getting out of it? Um, and in my opinion, you're, you're chasing, you know, a 9-8 and eight record. And if that's, if that's a victory to you, then, then you know, congratulations. But I, I don't know if I would characterize that as a victory. Brad Spielberger with us from Pro Football Focus. So in the context of the conversation about rookie quarterback deals, how valuable they are and how hard it can be to win once you pay your quarterback a bunch of money, unless it's Patrick Mahomes or one of the top-tier guys, what did you make of the dollar amounts that Daniel Jones, Derek Carr, and Geno Smith ultimately got on their deals? Was that did you think they still got too much for mid-tier quarterbacks, or is that what the market should be for that middle level of NFL quarterback play? Yeah, so we always say that the mid-market basically does not exist. Um, and, and Daniel Jones' deal certainly fits that, that bill. Gets $82 million over two years, so really does get you know, that $40 million per year average. There's a little bit of funny money in the fourth year, uh, but no, in the early cash flows of the deal, it is actually in line with his average per year. For Derek Carr, it's realistically a two-year deal for $60 million. Um, you know, probably get an extra $10 million in, in, in later guarantees. So two-year $70 million. Um, is probably the actual deal there. And then Geno Smith, I think, is the true, one of the first mid-tier contracts we've seen in a very, very long time. And, of course, it takes a guy who was like a backup for eight years um, in, in a situation that is you know, borderline unprecedented and that we may never see again or may never see again for 50 years. But that is, to me, an actual mid-market deal because the base value of his deal is $25 million a year, so about half the top of the market, right in that middle tier. And I think he played... You know, above that value, it's hard to surpass any veteran contract. You know, a quarterback is how much they make. I think he's in that wheelhouse, and I think Seattle now with two top twenty picks, they're still top ten in cap space after signing his deal. They actually may have you know, be able to take advantage of a veteran quality quarterback that isn't making that top echelon money. So, can what can we expect from Jimmy G around what uh, the card deal is, around what the Daniel Jones deal is? I've heard his market is way lower than that. Um, you know, I've heard the injuries have just scared a lot of people away. I mean, you look at his past, he gets hurt in pretty much every season he plays in. Um, a lot of people also saying, you know, have we seen the absolute best he could possibly be playing with Kyle Shanahan with a good defense to, you know, make up for some deficiencies, stuff like that. I mean, look at the playoff run last year. He didn't throw a touchdown pass. I mean, I mean, he gets away with a lot of things that you then put him on a different team and he probably looks way worse and, and doesn't have the stats and all those things. So, I think he's going to sign a, a one-year flyer at this point for, I don't know, maybe 10 to $15 million. Um, there will be incentives that could boost that up, but no, I, I don't see him getting anywhere close to, to the Derek Carr range, especially if Aaron Rodgers does go to the New York Jets. Um, you know, I'm not really, really sure how many suitors are left for Jimmy Garoppolo's services after that. On the Aaron Rodgers trade, from the Packers' standpoint, what does it do to their cap if they trade him? So it's a bigger benefit to them cash-wise. Uh, they would recoup $60 million in cash, which is always great. They actually would lose a little bit of cap space just because you know, we're talking about that Saints credit card. They've pushed so much cap hit into the future and restructured so many deals that you know Rogers' contract is super leveraged. So they would lose about $8 million in cap space. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you, when you realize $60 million in cash savings, you're, you're then going to be more flexible can push some more you know, contracts down the road and figure it out. But, you know, end of the day, cash does matter more than cap. And so they'll, they'll feel like they had a windfall just from that perspective. Uh, which team in the NFL would you say right now is in the worst situation overall with their salary cap? 
it's probably the New Orleans Saints or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at this point. And, and I'll say this too, like with the Bucks right now with where they're at and where the Saints were at with Drew Brees, I have no problem with it. If you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, yeah, you should push every single cap hit down the road and try to add as much talent as humanly possible to try to you know chase a Super Bowl. Where I have a problem is now with the Saints, you know, with, with Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston, and, and you know, Carr's better than those guys, but. But, like, why are you still doing it when you don't have that upper echelon quarterback? So, you know, it's probably them, too. The Bucks are in definitely a bad spot. They're still $50 million over the cap as of today. they got some more work to do. Uh, you know, they're going to cut Donovan Smith, the left tackle, and make a couple other moves. But, you know, they if they try to sign a veteran and, and try to contend next year as well, uh, I just think that prolongs the inevitable, um, you know, of being a, a middle-of-the-road the team for a couple more years. So there have been reports about them potentially just going with Kyle Trask and signing Drew Locke to come in there and be the backup. Would we potentially see in one division two teams handle the same situation completely different and get a pretty good test run as to what to do in terms of going with Derek Carr and just trying to go 9-8 and eight versus the Bucks potentially saying, all right, Brady's gone, it's time to uh, eat all of this now and be good in two or three years? I really think so, yeah. I've heard you know the same thing. They're going to kind of just, I don't think Trask's going to start, but I've heard Baker Mayfield, you know, maybe Drew Locke, like a cheaper veteran. And, I mean, I don't know if they're going to quote-unquote tank because they have a lot of good talent otherwise on the roster. Um, but, yes, I, I really do think that is going to be somewhat of a test case. Um, they're going to try to get higher draft picks. They're going to try to flush this roster a little bit. It's funny. Before Brady got there, the Buccaneers actually never did what we were talking about. They never pushed cap down the road. They never restructured contracts. They actually used to not even give signing bonuses. They would just give these massive roster bonuses, and those don't prorate. So those don't spread out over five years. They just stay all in one year. Like Mike Evans reset the wide receiver market and did not get a signing bonus. So they used to be set up that way. Once Brady came in, they said, all right, we've got we to compete more. We've got to spread some cap around so we can spend more cash up front. Um, I think they're going to pivot back to doing that, um, trying to get healthy on the books. And, 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 yeah, so I think it is a bit of a test case. Um, and, you know, for my money, I think they'll be, if they do do that, they will be back to relevance faster than, than New Orleans. Did. Maybe they get Jimmy G for 10 mil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, hey, if it, it may be. 10 mil is not bad. 15 mil is not terrible, um, you know, for him. But, yeah, I just heard a lot of teams are, are a little bit scared away there with the injuries. And, and yeah, like I said, just, you know, it, 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 it's hard to make him look better than he's already looked. He is Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. Brad, uh, we appreciate it. A lot of good uh, information for us this morning. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, guys. So there is Brad Spielberger, uh, Pro Football Focus uh, salary cap analyst, breaking things down there. Jimmy Garoppolo for 10 to $15 million is a must-sign for the Raiders, right? For 10 to $15 million, yeah. Like, if their goal yes. is to still be competitive this year while finding their quarterback for the future? Yes. Unless you trade up to get C.J. Uh, Stroud C. C. or Bryce C. C. Young. C.J. Stroud, who you're going to play. Yeah, if you, any other quarterback scenario, Jimmy G's yeah. a no-brainer, yeah. right? Even it's if he gets hurt, you're, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're signing a quarterback for competency now so you're not completely tanking right. out the season and annoying your fans or maybe your owner. I, I don't know how much Mark Davis wants to be 4-13 and 13 this upcoming season, so... Does it does it guarantee him Caleb Williams? If they sign Jimmy G, they're no, too they're no, too good. If they if, if they, they want Caleb Williams, if they want Caleb Williams, then they need to trade Devontae Adams now and wait till the third round to get a quarterback and then play him the yes. entire year. Yes, I don't think four and thirteen is bad enough. It's, for the and number no, one. It's and Danny's right. It's yeah. not bad enough. You, they need to. You have to go like 
maybe one and sixteen, you might need two to. and fifteen. They yeah. need to, but they need to trade Devontae Adams now. Probably Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro now. <laughs> and trade Max Crosby. I think you hold on to him because if you tank, the idea is you tank to be good in like two years. He'll still be really good in two years, but yeah. he's got some hamstring issues throughout the year. He might only play eleven games or something like that. So, but the other everybody else get out of here. Colton Miller can stay. He's still young. Still's got like three years on that deal. Miller, Crosby, everybody else is gone. And sign Drew Lock. One and sixteen, and then you get him. Sign Drew Lock to be your quarterback, and Caleb Williams yeah. can start in twenty twenty four. Stiddy would be too good. He would be. Yeah. Oh God, no. <laughs> He'd be too good. See that hit he took against the Niners before he. Yeah. Delivered a touchdown pass? No chance. No, you Might do that. That'll actually beat a bad team, and then they'll be two and fifteen, and they won't get the first overall pick. Be brutal. All right, coming up next year on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll stay in the NFL. Is Derrick Henry going to get traded? Back to the Finley Toyota Studios for Granny and Bischoff on the press box. The NFL is the greatest content machine in the sports world. They play games for like four months a year. And it's still always the most talked about sport. It's great yeah, because the more than the Vipers. <laughs> Who's that? Come on, you come co- on! You covered that game. I did. How, what they lost on? What happened? Fourth I down. Mean, it was fourth oh, it was and Josh two. Gordon. Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon went to backpedal. Small sixty-five yard pass uh, <laughs> with about a minute left, or with two minutes left. I forget what it was. Fourth and two, and. Uh, who was it? it? Was Seattle? The sea yeah, Dragons? Sea Dragons. The sea Dragons. I was going nuts on a plane on the tarmac oh, in Reno. Oh no! Oh, oh. you bet the Sea Dragons? Oh no, I bet the over. <laughs> you bet the over in the Vipers Sea Dragons. Absolutely. What What am I supposed to do with this guy? I don't know. I just hey my uh my give future. Him sco- give him a scotch and a and a stogie. It appears <laughs> my future on the uh, DC Defenders is looking great. They're how's co-leaders. Your, how's your future on the Vipers looking? Yeah, we don't talk about that one because I got the defenders. What are they? You know they play this week. I do know they're playing in DC. They yeah. Vipers are zero three. Yes. Yes. Okay. They so the Vipers are going to beat DC. Defenders are three and zero. So yeah, Vegas is winning hundred percent. Mm. Yeah, yeah. How many games do they play before the postseason? Eight. I believe it's eight. All right. Vipers have had leads in the second half all three games. Oh, they're the Raiders. Yeah. The Vipers, yeah, they've been outscored <laughs> some astronomical number in the second they're half. They're the Raiders. Yeah, these what? Las Vegas teams. I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. UNLV didn't blow second half leads this year. I mean, they blew the second half of the entire season, but they didn't blow second half leads. Not like this. Yeah, okay. not like every week. All right. You think Derrick Henry's getting traded? If they're ready to tank, like uh, you said, the uh, <laughs> well, they're bringing back Tannehill. If we, if we if they're ready to tank, like we said the previous segment to get uh, to get the USC quarterback, um, if he gets traded, the, the interesting part to me is if he gets traded uh, at his age and he's a running back, so wear and tear on the body. Um, what's the give back on Derrick Henry? I can't imagine an NFL team would trade for Derrick Henry right now. His cap hit for next year is $16.3 million. As a running back. Now you can restructure deals and find a way to bring that down. That's how the Saints keep going into the offseason with $50 million over the cap and still are fine. But his cap hit's still going to be significant. To get him, you're going to have to give something up. And we just saw three teams that had awesome seasons from their running backs decide we're not going to give them a long-term deal. Right. We're going to franchise, franchise tag, tag Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, 
and Tony Pollard. And Tony Pollard. I, I can't imagine there's a market worthwhile for the Titans that's worthwhile exploring for Derek. But Henry. if there was, then what? I mean, yeah, what I mean, do you trade think him. Get, what do you think? No, exactly. What do you think they get? What, what do you think nothing. I don't get? think anybody's given anything up for him. Trade Zeke and Pollard. Do it. I would love <laughs> Derrick Henry on the Cowboys. For Derrick Henry? Absolutely. Okay, Tony Pollard is going to be a better running back next year than Derrick Henry. Tony Pollard might have been a better running back last year than Derrick Henry. In terms of just strictly a running back, no. But in terms of overall, like passing or uh, receiving and rushing, yes, Pollard was better. Well, but thank I would God still they take do Derek more than Henry. one thing. I would take Derek That's Henry. the dumbest. You, God, you see there's so many dumb things. You would take Derek Henry over a guy off. you said that you just thought was better. You just said Tony Pollard was, was better. better. When you combine, oh, when you well, combine I mean, it, but as just strictly running back, because Derrick Henry doesn't catch much, but he's a monster on the ground still. I would take him. That's a horrible take. Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott combined are going to cost less than Derrick Henry this year. I don't know what Zeke's contract is, but if well, Pollard's, it's too much unless he takes. It's like sh- it's like shaves it down eighteen to million, million, yeah. But it's not guaranteed. They can just get rid of him. But he already said he's going to take a. Pay cut. Massive cut. He's probably going to get like $4 million this his, year. His massive cut's going to be like, take a million off. <laughs> no. But no. If the Cowboys well, do that. Cut him. <laughs> if the Cowboys bring Zeke back and it's for more than $5 million, that's that's probably the dumbest move of the offseason. To be honest, they shouldn't bring him back at all. They should just straight up cut him. Absolutely. Like, he's not any good. He doesn't provide gonna any value. He's going to get those two-yard gains down at the goal line. The backup guy who came in for like two games. I don't even know his name. I don't know either. Not Drafted him in like the, just draft Danny, somebody you know else in the fifth round. Uh, no. Just anybody besides Ezekiel Elliott will be fine. I'm trying to even picture his number. I only saw him in the last couple weeks of the season. So what the Titans need is for Danny to be running an NFL team. <laughs> yes. Because Danny would trade for Derrick Henry. <laughs> yes. What would you trade for Derrick Henry? I just said. Draft pick wise. No, draft pick wise. Oh. Draft pick wise. I don't know, probably uh, mid-rounds, mid three, four. Oh, God. All right, yeah. If Danny runs an NFL team, the Titans are in great shape. Great shape. I think he's still he's still one of the top running backs. But you're taking on that salary. Yeah. And what did having one of the top running backs in the league do for the Titans for the last 10 seasons? 10. He hadn't been there that long, but five or six. They've won a bad division multiple times. Division wins a division win. <laughs> it is not. That is not true. The winner of the NFC South is nowhere near the same as the winner of like the AFC West. West. You still have a division title and you have a playoff spot. <laughs> and a playoff loss. You never know. Anything uh, can happen. The 8-9 and nine Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the same as the Kansas City Chiefs. That's right. <laughs> Danny's the worst. Uh, I do not think Henry gets traded overall because I don't think anybody will offer anything good. And ultimately, that'll be in the Titans' best interest to say, I will just keep the guy. Maybe they restructure his deal and make his cap hit a little bit less. But I just, if there's somebody out there that trades for Henry, the Raiders need to swoop in before it happens and says, can I interest you in a younger, cheaper Josh Jacobs? Because he would have more value than Derrick Henry.